welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic, uh, which means that I was on Sunday in East Rutherford, New Jersey for Washington's final home, home game, final game of the 2021 season. They beat the New York Giants 22 to 7 to finish the year at 7 and 10. Obviously, that's the same amount of wins that they finished with one year ago, but it feels very different than it did last year when Washington was at this point headed to the postseason, having won the NFC East. Improbable as that as that was, it felt like there was positive momentum happening here with uh, an up-and-coming defense. Uh, The the team wins five of their last seven games. It feels very different this time. I think we can all probably agree on that. The same amount of wins, but Washington had lost four in a row before beating a hapless Giants team on Sunday. Other than Terry McLaurin maybe and John Allen, maybe a couple other pieces here and there, it doesn't feel like Washington has improved off of last year's situation, which is why this offseason is pivotal on a lot of fronts. Quarterback talk, how are they going to fill out other parts of the roster, uh, and so on. And so, to do address some of that, we'll have plenty of time to discuss what is going on here with this team this offseason. But I took the train back from East Rutherford on Sunday night. On the train with me, Matt Paris from the Washington Times, Sam Fortier from the Washington Post. We had three hours or so on the train. We were sitting in the, I guess, the club car area. Weren't too many people around us. So I said, hey, what do you guys think about doing a podcast with me to help, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have some banter, have some fun, r- reminisce about the season, look ahead, and, you know, kill some time. And so they agreed, and we did just that. We talked a little, little bit about the game. We talked about, for us, things like who was our player of the year. Not necessarily MVP, but who's a player that sort of symbolized the season for us. Uh, same thing with play of the year. We then looked ahead. What's their biggest need that's not a quarterback? But we also addressed the quarterback situation. And we talked about uh, the name change. Had a little bit of fun with that as well. So a fun conversation with Matt and Sam. I'll get to all that in just a moment. Now, Monday, I'm talking to you guys Monday night. Monday was exit interview day. What does that mean for those of you who don't know? So the players talked to the coaching staff, Ron Rivera and others. When they leave, when the season's over and they head out to wherever they're going, some guys will stay around town to do their to do their off-season program. Others will head to where they live or with trainers or go on vacation for a little bit or what have you. Uh, so before they leave, uh, Washington's PR staff kindly helps us get a bunch of these guys to talk. And I will say the Washington's PR staff went out of their way this year. Huge help. I, I don't even know what the final count is, but it feels like we got roughly half the roster this year. To, to chat with us at the end. We got some of the big names, of course. Uh, Terry McLaurin, Brandon Scherf, uh, Taylor Heineke. Chase Young made an appearance. We hadn't seen from him, we hadn't heard from him since suffering that injury against against Tampa Bay back in week 10. And we went all the way down the roster. Some of the rookies like Diame Brown, Benjamin St. Juice. We also got like even deep guys in the, in the roster like a David Mayo uh, and a Keith Ismail. So we had a wide range of players. And I wanted to share some of my thoughts uh, parts of the day that stood out to me and what what to consider from this going forward. In addition, we didn't talk to the coaches uh, or anything, but I have some thoughts about where possible changes with the coaching staff. Uh, we'll note 
on Tuesday afternoon, Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew will cap the season essentially with a joint press conference with reporters. So I will be there for that. And I'll have another uh, podcast later in this week to, uh, to discuss that as well as some other thoughts as well. So uh, we'll get to all that here in just a moment. Of course, you can find uh, this podcast uh if you just happen to be new to it today, you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, or on the Athletic app. Subscribe to anywhere along the way. And if you are a subscriber to The Athletic, you can read my exclusive interview with Terry McLaurin today. Uh, we addressed his contract, and I asked him flat out, what did he think about Ron Rivera's comments? Where Ron Rivera said the other day, when asked about an extension from McLaurin, said, hey, we need to evaluate the situation Um Rather than just saying, yes, we absolutely want to keep Terry. Why wouldn't we want to do that? Uh, his comments raise eyebrows around the league, uh, according to multiple people that I've spoken with. So um, I asked Terry about that. He's always a very interesting conversation. And we discussed where he's at. Uh, so I'll get to some of that in a moment, along with some of these other players. Um, one last thing before I get going here. Um, I just want to say how much I definitely appreciate everybody Checking out the podcast, checking out The Athletic, following me on Twitter at Ben Standig. Um, it's been a long year, and look, I have a fun job. I'm not going to lie. It's a good time. Um, you know, I grew up rooting for this team, as, as many of you know. I, I've checked out emotionally a long time ago. But, uh, you know, it still kind of blows my mind that I have the opportunity to be one of the people talking to the fans about what's going on with this team. And I don't take that lightly. I really am grateful for the opportunity. And I, you know, it doesn't work if you guys don't follow, subscribe, engage with me and all that. So what I wanted to do, we did the one earlier um, in, during the season um, where I had a private Zoom call with some of the listeners to the podcast. Thought I could maybe try that again. Uh, may have to put that off until a week, next week or so because it's going to be a busy week here. Um, for sure, and obviously we'll see as as news develops how busy it gets. But I want to do something. So what I would suggest is if you're interested in participating in a, in a private Zoom with me, you can hit me up uh, on email, bstandig, S-T-A-N-D-I-G, at theathletic.com, bstandig at theathletic.com, and in the subject, write, uh, how about uh, Zoom pod? that work that work okay great so we'll see what we do if we get enough interest we had we had a really fun chat the last time i'd love to do that again um all right so let's get to some of these uh, notes today no particular order here in terms of importance um brandon sheriff though was one of the first players we spoke with look i think this is a pretty simple situation multiple times now washington has gone into the offseason with sheriff where he's been a free agent there's been supposed attempts to get a long-term deal done the team says they want to do it. Brandon Scherf constantly says he'd love to stay. Nothing gets done. He get, They've given him the franchise tag twice. This past year, he got just over $18 million. That's not happening again. A third tag would be roughly $26 million. There's no way they're paying that. The, you know, a quarterback, yes. A right guard, no. And therefore, what does Washington do? Can they get a long-term deal done? My sense would be no. That Brandon Sheriff would be will, will be out of here. I've heard before previously that he wants to be closer to the Midwest, where he's from. Obviously, went to the University of Iowa. Whether that part of it is, is is true or not, I just find it hard to believe he's going to stay. That said, here's what Brandon Sheriff had to say. One of his quotes 
um, with regards to uh, the, the the situation, you know, with with his going into free agency again. "Quote: I'd love to be here, and I hope I can end my career here." I said that the last couple times, and that's always the goal for me is to kind of finish where you started. I think we got something good building here. Yesterday was just a good stepping stone of where we can go. End quote. Again, you can buy that if you want. I'm not saying he's being he's lying or being insincere. I'm just saying they've gone through this multiple times and it's landed in a franchise tag. Good for Brandon Scherf. He gets paid a ton of money. Um, you know, obviously Washington has would have to consider how much money you will, even if it was 18 million a year, even if they could agree to that across a, a multi-year deal, that is still a ton of money for an offensive lineman, a guard in particular who gets injured constantly, right? This was another year in which he missed multiple games with injury. He also made the pro bowl and Washington. I, I've, I've tweeted this out before. I've written about it before their record with or without him is staggering. They basically do not win any games if he is unavailable. So that's something they'll have to consider. If Brandon Sheriff were to leave, then Wes Schweitzer or Sadiq Charles would be the in-house options unless Washington seeks help elsewhere. Obviously, they just inked Charles Leno to a, a, an extension. Uh, that, that secures the left 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 tackle. You've got Sam Cosme at right tackle. Chase Rouye, we spoke to him today. He's coming off the broken fibula. He, he didn't offer any timeline for him, but for argument's sake, let's just say he's possibly available by week one. You've got Eric Flowers, left guard. I think he may be a restructure uh, candidate because his contract for this year is a bit much. But, you know, it's clear he likes to be here, and I think that would be something he would want to work out. So that would leave the right guard as a potential spot. You could address that in the draft. Or, like I said, Schweitzer, I think, did a pretty solid job uh, this year when he filled in. So that's what Brandon Scherf had to say. I mentioned Chase Young spoke. Uh, We have not talked to him since... uh, the, you know, his ACL tear in week eight, um, he seemed to, or week 10, sorry. He seemed to be in good spirits. Um, you know, he said, Hey, I signed up for this. I, it's a physical game. I kind of know what I'm getting myself into. Didn't also did not offer any specific timelines, but you know, seems optimistic about his future. He's an optimistic young man to say the least. The question of course, though, with him is whenever he is ready, particularly this off season, is he going to show up for the, the off season workout program? He did not last year. I don't think that went over well with Ron Rivera. And then Chase Young had the season that he had pre-injury, where he only had one and a half sacks through the first eight-plus games. When Ron Rivera talked repeatedly about lack of maturity and discipline on the team and on the defense, he really did seem to be speaking a lot about Chase Young, and Washington needs a lot more out of him um, if they're going to improve. We'll talk more about Chase Young with Sam and Matt. In any event, basically Chase Young was noncommittal to whether he would show up for the offseason programs or not. He said, quote, my offseason, we're still talking about it, figuring it, figuring everything out for it. So I'm not sure right now. Maybe he maybe he does show up come next summer, but he's not making that commitment now, despite having gone through this past offseason. So take that for what it is worth. Uh, Curtis Samuel spoke. Uh, Curtis Samuel obviously did not play since the first Dallas game at the beginning. What, what was it? The beginning of December uh, with a hamstring injury. This is after he missed a good chunk of the year with um, with the groin injury. I, I tweeted out how little production Washington got out of him the other day. We don't need to go through that again, but nonetheless, they didn't get a lot out of him. Um, but you wouldn't necessarily know that Samuel was frustrated when we spoke to him today. I mean, he said he was, 
And I'm not saying that he's not, because obviously it was a trying year, without question. But at the same time, he seemed to be optimistic. He said he was, he said he was, it was scary how much he expected to improve going into next year because he's going to be so committed to working. As for where he's at physically now, he said, quote, I feel great. Probably the best I felt all season. So honestly, it's a good feeling to end the season feeling as good as I do. End quote. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, the thing is, the season's over. So, yeah. he. I asked him if he's feeling so good, could he have played in these last few games? And he kind of just said, you know, who know who can say. So, I don't know. Obviously, Washington's going to need to say they need more out of him would be obviously beyond an understatement. They need him to be the playmaker they expected. And the question I think for Washington is, do they need another wide receiver? Cause I never viewed Curtis Samuel really as a true number two to McLaurin, more of a gadget guy, which I'm not knocking, but more in the vein of how Washington used JD McKissick rather than a receiver. And we saw in the very limited time Samuel was out there that he was playing um, you know, out of the backfield, things along those lines. So uh, I, I think that's something to consider. Obviously, Washington has De'Ami Brown, uh, Cam Sims, uh, Adam Humphreys is a free agent. So they've got some options at receiver, but, you know, we'll see what they what, what happens here with Samuel. A huge story next year for sure. Uh, McLaurin, I guess just I don't want to step on my story too, too much, but obviously the big question here is when does Washington make a move with – contract negotiations with Terry McLaurin. He is eligible to have negotiations right now. His third year is over. That can start immediately. Uh, The other day when Ron Rivera was asked about this, he said they're going to evaluate their situation collectively this offseason. He didn't say we absolutely want to keep McLaurin. He didn't say here bags of money we want to throw at him. He didn't do that. Now, it doesn't mean that, 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 that Washington has no interest. It just means that's what he said at the moment. But as I mentioned earlier, people around the league noticed that. Um, I asked McLaurin about it. He said he was unaware of those comments uh, from Rivera until I told him. But in general, you know, he just said, hey, first off, I don't believe I'm above evaluation. Everybody here is, should be evaluated. Um, but then beyond that, he just said to me, quote, we just have to see what the future holds. I'm proud of the way I conducted myself, meaning this season, and looking forward to seeing what's next. Uh, you can read more about that in the story. I have also compared him to a different receiver that uh, Washington previously showed some interest in, and, and I asked some uh, NFL personnel execs how to compare the two players. Um, so I think you can check that out. Good article, um, good good quotes from McLaurin, who obviously is arguably the best player on the team. Um, lastly, one, one guy I wanted to highlight was Cornelius Lucas. Um, he's become a quick favorite on the uh, for the media contingent. He's a very interesting guy, lively. Uh, you know, had some interesting, really interesting quotes. Just from like a, you know, <laughs> like just as an example, he was asked, "What is it you'll be looking for in free agency?" And he said, "Quote commitment." Well, what would show you commitment? He paused for a while and then said, "Quote acts of kindness and extending the wealth." Okay, and then I asked him. Well, here's the thing. The two starting tackle spots here appear to be locked up. So how does that impact your thoughts if you want to be a starter? And he said, quote, man, get out of my brain. I've been doing it for so long, meaning being a backup, just mentally of making whatever situation I have the best, making the best out of it. 
whatever situation I get it into, I'm going to make the best of. So if I'm not the starter just yet, hopefully by the end of the year, I'm the starter, end quote. Um, you know, look, obviously, if, if Leno and Cosme are healthy, then they're going to be the starters. So there's a role for a swing tackle. We've seen Lucas in the lineup playing significant snaps but in each of the last two seasons. But at the same point, you know, if he wants to start, this may not be the place to be. I point him out just to note that we keep we keep focusing on the starters, but think of how many reserves have been so big for this team uh, over the last couple of years. Guys that have stepped up, you know, whether it's it's a Cornelius Lucas this year or a Danny Johnson, another free agent at corner. Um, Adam Humphreys obviously played a key role at times in the slot. He's a free agent, so on and so on. So it isn't just the star players or the starters. It's also the backups and you know, we'll see who's, who Washington is able to keep. They can't keep everybody, but we will see about that. Lucas, I think, would be an important guy to keep, to be honest, considering the injuries. Although, you know, Leno has been pretty durable, but Sam Cosme was not this year. Uh, lastly, uh, just quick thoughts on the coaching staff. You know, Washington kept everybody last year, essentially. And that's pretty rare. I think it's pretty rare for two years in a row for that to happen. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if something changes. Now, that could just be because somebody decides, hey, they have an opportunity to go join another team. Today was Black Monday around the league. Lots of changes around the league all over the place. Uh, Minnesota, Chicago, among other places. Miami changed coaches. So lots of guys around the league will be jumping ship. And Washington could decide they want to make some moves. Um, Who are the likely candidates there? I I wrote the other day about how part of Washington's evaluation with its defense this year needs to be with regards to the coaching staff. Now that's not to say that the coaching staff is definitively at fault. It's to say when you look at certain situations, like why did it take so long to move Landon Collins from one position to another? What happened with Jamin Davis this year where they tried him at middle linebacker. And now we have Ron Rivera suggesting they may need to go out and get a, new, a, a veteran middle linebacker because Davis didn't work out the William Jackson part of this, where he was a man corner with Cincinnati and took a long time for him to get comfortable in zone. Why, why was that? Why didn't they just go out and get a guy in zone or was it, or was the problem a scheme, not adjusting the scheme to him. And then of course the defensive line, you know, what happened there with chase young and Montez sweat in particular, how come those guys didn't seem to develop uh, at the rate, uh, you know, people were hoping and expecting, including themselves when they're talking about breaking sack records. So I think all that's important. Um, I think Sam Mills could be somebody who, who could be, um, could be out. Um, that, that, that buzz has been out there for a bit. Uh, Ron Rivera said last year that it took some of Washington's holdover defensive linemen some time to kind of really buy in to what techniques the new coaching staff was trying to, to, to deploy. And obviously they didn't, succeed this year in the way you would have hoped John Allen did I think Deron Payne had a pretty good year but again the end really not so much so I think Sam Mills is something to keep an eye on as for Jack Del Rio you know I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's on his way out I I will just say that I don't think it's impossible Um, I I think it's you know I think they're gonna have to have some different conversations like I said about what transpired this year ultimately however you want to say it every team has a story and Washington's defensive story this year was they were near the bottom of the league in third down defense all season. Uh, you know, they, they never quite found their stride defensively. And, you know, there will have to be some questions ab- ab- about that. I think that Jack Del Rio 
takes on a lot of responsibility. I think Ron Rivera, some people see him as more of a CEO, CEO head coach than somebody who is like on top of every little detail. I'm not saying that's bad or good. I'm just saying that's kind of the deal. So Del Rio takes on a lot of responsibility. And is that working? I think that's a part of the discussion that probably will be had. And we'll see. Del Rio obviously came out the other day and said, hey, I don't even know why you're asking me about my future. I'll be back. We'll see. I'm not as confident about it as him, but it's his life. What do I know? I mean, let me, let me not say what do I know. I hear things, but he's obviously the one who's dealing with this. So we'll see. I'm not, I'm not ruling it out, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you today. It's definitely a slam dunk, but I do think there's something there to consider. Um, we'll see. Again, Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew will speak on um, Tuesday afternoon. So I suspect the coaching staff situation will come up one way or the other. All right, let's end it there on on the on that aspect of it. But let's now get to my conversation with Matt Paris and Sam Fortier from a moving train d- heading down uh, the East Coast from New Jersey to Union Station. Uh, we we recapped the 2021 season and looked ahead to the off season for the Washington Football Team. A fun chat on a train. Here we go uh, on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, uh, no idea what this is going to sound like, but this may be the first time in the history of ever of anything that there are three dudes are on a train doing a podcast. There are people sitting around us. I don't know what they're going to think, but we're going to try and see before anybody yells at us. Uh, uh, you know who I am. With me here, Matt Paris from the Washington Times, Sam Fortier from the Washington Post. Are you guys ready for this experiment into the world of podcasting on a train? We've done one in a car together before, so, you know, I guess the plane is the next avenue, but yeah, let's get the train first. Amtrak Media, greater than sign Empire Media. Wow. (laughs) Wow, I didn't know we were having a a, a podcast war off the bat, but why not? All right, so uh, we are are riding back from the, the game earlier today. Washington closed out the regular season. They win, yada, yada, yada. It's on to the offseason, but before that, look, I had zero expectations for today's game, and this game met them. It was pretty much an ugly game, a couple good moments, and some guys hit some milestones. Gibson and McClure need to go for 1,000 yards. Gibson has a career high in rushing. There you go. That's about, that's about it. For you guys, we'll start with this. Take away from today's game, whatever you got. Sam, go for it. Well, I think that the traditional reporter answer is that Bobby McCain had two interceptions, one which was a pick six, and that makes me wonder about where the state of this safety group is going to be at the start of training camp because obviously Landon Collins' contract is something they have to work out. He played really well after, I think, moving to the Buffalo Nickel. Bobby McCain's a free agent, obviously. I think this situation sort of mirrors the offensive line for me because they upgraded after they thought they were going to be able to in May. They signed Charles Leno to play left tackle. They signed Bobby McCain to play free safety. And now the question is, will they commit to McCain like they committed to Charles Leno? Uh, another subject we can talk about if you guys want to is how do how does the 17th game affect the legitimacy of some of these records, yeah. the 1,000 yards that we can talk about? But, Paris, over to you. Yeah, I mean, we definitely saw that with Antonio Gibson and Terry McLaurin, like, they, have, they crossed that 1,000-yard marker. It was a pretty fun – it was something to write about. I got a sidebar out of it. But, you know, my other takeaway besides that is just how much of a mess the Giants are. You know, it, it 
I was trying to, like, I looked at Washington's rebuild compared to this, and, you know, at least Washington, for as many questions as there are going into this offseason, it, it's not necessarily about the coaching staff. I mean, we can talk about the coordinators and the quarterback, but it, it feels like Washington's rebuild is a little bit further ahead of New York and and a lot of teams at this point. So I, I saw a, uh, I think it was a Seth Wickersham tweet today that said like 80% of the league is like a quarterback away from competing. And I think Washington is probably in that boat, you know, to get everybody back healthy and all that. I don't think the Giants are part of that group. They are. It is good for comparison because like we're all pretty down on Washington the way the season ended and they don't come close to expectations. But then you look across the room and you're like, Lord, what is going on? They are a mess on a on a hundred uh, on a hundred fronts. Um, all right. Uh, question two. Player of the year. Now I'm not saying most valuable. I'm not saying who's the best. But if that's where you want to go, it's fine. Just for you, for whatever the reason, who was the player that for you was the player of the year? I don't care what the reason is. What, who was the player of the year? You, you want to go first? Yeah, yeah. Sam mentioned it, but it's Landon Collins to me. It's just, you know, it was such a rough start, and then he kind of figured it out. And it's like, wait, is he good again? Is Washington good? And then he gets hurt, and so we never really got an answer to that question. So I think his path like his journey as an individual player this season kind of mirrored a lot of what Washington went through as a team and so it would be him and I, it'll be interesting to see his future here too whether they negotiate his contract or I, cut him or anything like that. I think one of the interesting things is like whatever's going to happen now with the coaching staff and the front office are going to evaluate whatever the hell happened this year is that because we went like before the season started the, the, the running debate slash joke on the outside was is Landon Collins going to play linebacker and then Jack Del Rio at some point last year said no. And then obviously they kept him with safety, air quotes at least, for the first five games. And then they did move him. And then things did get better. So whose decision was it to not move him in the first place? What, was that a scheme thing? Was they just so uh, willing to let Atlanta Collins' refusal to, to, to be called something else hold them, hold them back? I, that to me is a fascinating topic because I think it says a lot about what happened this year just from that idea of why he was where he was and how that uh, whole thing evolved. Plus, will he even be back because of the contract? We'll all assume no when the year started. Now, I don't know. Now, I think he played well enough to maybe stay. Yeah, especially if they restructure his contract and if they start calling him downhill attacking style player again and he doesn't have to think of himself as a linebacker. But I think that for me, anyway... Do you think in the depth chart they'll just change it? You know, <laughs> defensive line, linebacker, Dang. cornerback safety, downhill? <laughs> Dasp! downhill attacking style player yeah. <laughs> uh, to me there's there's a few candidates for player of the year some of the obvious ones are, are uh, Terry McLaurin uh, I think Taylor Heineke I think people kind of get lost in his performance but any team with a backup quarterback all year I think yeah. would have a really tough time and for, for him to come out and play like he did I, I think that was you know pretty remarkable I think Cam Curl had a, had a really strong year uh, but to me it, it's got to be John Allen just because when the dude signs a deal like that and then comes and balls out the way that, that he did. Um, I think that's very impressive. I think that uh, you could say that you're Walter Payton Man of the Year shouldn't try to punch a teammate, shouldn't punch a teammate. And if you want to disqualify him from that discussion because of that, I think that that's totally legitimate. But if we're talking a non-quarterback player of the year for this team in terms of what he generated, in terms of pressure up front, especially when that line was underperforming early, uh, he's, he's my player of the year for them. All right, I'll go in a completely different route. I'll go Chase Young. Oh, I knew you were going to, yeah. Because he, to me, symbolized why everybody, wow. 
Because <laughs> he symbolized why everybody was super hyped on them going into the year. He was the poster child for what the, what the potential that defense was. And some of it was, I think, overhyped. That, that was my take going into the offseason. I mean, you know, we all know the whole quarterback thing. And they were good last year. I never really, really didn't think to myself, wow, they're like some dominant defense. And then Tampa Bay got 500 yards against them in the playoffs. You can't be an elite defense. I don't care who you're facing and that to happen. And then we play this year, and off the bat, it just never was clicking for that for that defense, for that line. Ron Rivera talked about maturity and discipline issues. Seemed to be pretty apparent he's talking about 99. He basically even said as much talking to uh, the team website. And just so for when we look back and call the season a disappointment, it just feels like that was it there. It's also to a degree why I still think there's potential going forward because they still have good players, young players, ascending players. He's one of them, and we'll see what he looks like coming back off the ACL. But to me, he almost just sort of symbolized why it was just a frustrating year for them from start to what not. I guess I can't even say finish because he didn't play the second half of the year, but you know what I mean, more or less. Yeah, yeah I thought it was really telling the other day when Rivera was talking about the offseason and kind of the importance of year three, and he mentioned that guys need to be here. And it loom large of kind of Chase Young's absence loom large. And Rivera at the time was, you know, defended Chase and said he was getting updates by, you know, text message and of seeing his workouts. But at the end of the day, I, I do think it was an issue for them ultimately. And, you know, it's not necessarily whether a guy's filming commercials. I don't think that really had much of a tra- uh, much of an impact on his performance. You're but, talking about him missing OTAs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I, I just think, you know, Chase Young is the leader of this defense, or was, and for him to kind of set the tone, I don't think that the defense necessarily bought into that tone. In, in hindsight, I mean, maybe it's easier to say in hindsight now. But. Right, right as we started talking about Chase Young, the, the train started <laughs> shaking a little bit. Like, it was a little rocky there, just like, uh, you know, his season was. I, had to get, I, I needed to get uh, into yeah. train reference. We were, you know, we, 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 we can be uh, all serious. Keep chugging along after that one. All right, so. there you go. Yeah, I, need, I need Paris to get the <laughs> get step up for me. All right, moment of the season. Could be play of the season, situation of the season, whatever the, the deal is. I'll, I'll go first since I put you guys on the spot there. I, I'm thinking this on the fly. I, I, I don't want to keep being the Debbie down with negative stuff, but for me, I'm going to go with the Chris Blewett. <laughs> missing the kicks in the Denver game because it was symbolic to me of like where they were at that point in that moment like Ron Rivera to me going from Hopkins to a guy that had not kicked in five years felt like a bit of a panic move that he was like I gotta do something and he landed on this guy and I'm not saying they would have won that Denver game if that hadn't had happened but maybe they would have they only lost by seven they just couldn't get anything going offensively he misses what was it two two field goals blocked I believe so. Or, I mean, they blocked. Yeah. I mean, they didn't even, like, block by, like, Wes Schweitzer's helmet, basically. Right. And it, it, it was, like, so, and it was, I mean, that was the end of the four-game, the first four-game losing streak. They go into the break, we're like, oh, boy, they got no hope here. Yeah, they did rally, of course, but, like, I don't know, it just felt like to me, like, that was just, like, where that team was. And, yes, they did rally the next four games, but never quite got out of it. So, I don't know, that just kept sticking in my head all year. How does that was just so chaotic that that actually happened? So I'm going with Chris Blewett. To me, the most emblematic play of the year probably was when Taylor got strip sacked and the Cowboys returned it for the fumble in that first home game. Because to me, that's where things went off the rails. Because 
all the things that happened after that, the, the personal tragedies, the, the COVID outbreak, you know, and, and you could argue the COVID outbreak started before that, and I, and I would hear that point. But to me, it, there was there was a, there was a lot of juice going into that Dallas game. I mean, they were playing, you know, they were in sixth uh, in the NFC with a win. They they were two games, I think, two games out or one game out of first place in the NFC East. I mean, there was a ton of juice and there was a lot of potential. And they were starting this run that Ron talked about all year, and they had survived and they put themselves in a position to make that matter. And then just to to get beat the way that you got beat. Um, and then honestly, to come out and have a, a second half where you, you almost put yourself in it, but you didn't quite, that to me was very emblematic of the season as well. That, that's, that's a better answer than mine. I like that one. All right, what do you got? I'll go change of pace here and I'll go off the field. I think the Congress investigation really kind of said a lot about where this team is at as well with how much, like, Ron Averis tried to change what this franchise is and the image of it and the perception around the league that, you know, they really can't escape kind of the, the scandals and for Congress to get involved like you know I've been on this beat for five years now like that, <laughs> that that's a whole different animal like I was talking to a friend and she's like why are you emailing the house oversight committee it's like oh you see I cover this team and they're wrapped up in this it's just you know I I'll inter- I'll be interested to see what like the next step for that specifically is because I don't think that's over by any means and so yeah I kind of I, I would go that don't, don't forget about the unresolved DEA and raid and investigation. I was saying, like, when we were at the, the, so the stadium, like, if we did, like, a top ten list of, like, the things that happened this year, like, something like even like that, does it even make the list? I probably, but, like, maybe not. It happened in week four, and, like, so the much DEA has happened thing. since. Yeah. yeah okay. The, the uh, team so, facility being raided by the DEA is absolutely a top ten thing that happened sure. this year. Well, well, besides, a, I mean, Kicking you and Pete kicking the water bottle. That's, <laughs> well, that's definitely on the list. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go towards more towards the off season. Okay, we know they need a quarterback. Put that aside. Right now, what stands out is the thing they got to do the most. Dude. For number one priority for you, they got to get done. Well, it can be whatever, resign their own guy or go get somebody else, your position or player, whatever it is. What's the number one thing for you? For me, I think that you have a lot of holes that I think you can fill internally. Uh, if if you get you know some guys healthy, number two receiver, a compliment to Terry. If Curtis can be healthy, I know that's a huge if, but you could solve that problem. You try to solve that problem. Uh, tight end, if Logan Thomas stays healthy, that's a you know, those are problems that you have solutions to. The things that you don't have solutions to, and probably is you know most concerning to me, is middle linebacker because you drafted a guy specifically because you know because I, I always go back to. When we talked to Ron about why he drafted Jamin, he said we could have, you know, taken other guys who are more defensively versatile. And I think he was talking about Owusu Koromora out of Notre Dame who went to Cleveland because he could play, you know, strong safety and nickel and he could play in the box. I mean, he could do everything. But Ron specifically said that he wanted to draft Jamin because he could play all three linebacker spots. And whether that was a miss in evaluation or development, I don't know. But if Jamin never turns out to be a middle linebacker, that's a that's a huge that's a huge loss to spend the 19th pick on an outside linebacker. Um, and if you have him and Cole Holcomb next year, and they're both only outside guys, I mean, and you're in you know you're only in base 30% of the time. I mean, that's that's a huge miss. So to me, middle linebacker, which you obviously thought was a huge need last year, and if you have no material solution this year. That's got to be number one. And plus, like, to your point, like, if, if let's just say the, the Holcomb and Davis are where they are right now as players, 
that means Davis is the one who's not on the field for the majority of the time. So that's like a massive problem to, to not have your first round pick out there uh, at all. So yeah, I'm with you. That That is uh, not ideal. Matthew. Yeah, no, I would uh, to agree on linebacker. I mean, it's just, I don't see what the solution is too. It's not like you're going to pour more draft resources into that. Or if they do, it'll be mid-round. You know, you, you can't go with that in the first round again, especially at 11 now. They have it. I mean, cornerback. Like the thing is, too, like the, the positions that they kind of need upgrades. They're investing a lot of resources in. Like cornerback, they could use another corner, but you're paying William Jackson fourteen million, Kendall Fuller ten. Like, where's the money coming from? You know, you're not going to commit fifty million to three corners or forty, whatever the, the thing is. Well, I mean, plus St. Juice was a third round pick. Sure. That's not yeah. nothing, right? Yeah, maybe he can come along. He showed moments. That, so, like, you know, we'll, we'll see. But. I think, I think safety, like we talked yeah. about earlier, that that's one. But also maybe running back. I mean, especially you know when J.D. McKissick became a free agent, I think you saw like how much of an impact he had later in the year. That that's not a you know that's not an insignificant loss for they this team. Him if quite a bit. Yeah. They did so, you know, if they don't have him, how are you going to replace that production? Right. I, I I agree, man. Antonio, we're, we're coming off a game where Antonio Gibson was very good today, but playing a terrible Giants team, and I think between his injuries and his fumbles. Like, I think they have to position, give themselves an option if either to help him out all the time or in case things go south in one of those ways. And I don't know if that's J.D. McKissick, who I wouldn't classify as, like, a between-the-tackles lead running back. So, yeah, I think they could probably use another another running back. I was trying to, I was hoping Paris would come up with a funny bit because I was trying to think of something funny for uh, what's their biggest need this offseason, but uh, I, I couldn't... Uh, I couldn't no, 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 no. Or a name or... Another congressional investigation. No. Um, all right, we'll, we'll go to the last one here. Quarterback. Okay, we we acknowledge they need one. Now, how do they get one? I'm I'm gonna say to me, I keep saying this comes down to what how how deep is Ron Rivera's desperation run? If he's feeling like, look, we're not gonna panic. Do what we need to do. He talked about the draft today. Sam asked him about uh, now that you have a front office, like how do you attack the offense or what can you do this offseason? And he went into like great length about the draft. Now, could just mean he just strung sentences together and that's where he landed, or it could mean in his head that's where they're focused on. Obviously, the draft's important, but like the quarterback has to be top of mind. So that was partly how I took that. But if you take the rookie, you're basically setting yourself up for a losing season next year. He's already he's already lost two in a row his first year. He himself has lost four as four losing seasons in a row. Kind of makes me think he needs to go out and get some real help. But you know, it's not like they're the only team that needs a quarterback. So I kind of think like that to me is I'm going to say they they land on a veteran at some point. But I can't I'm not going to sit here and tell you how. I, I don't know how they're doing it, but I feel like he's going to really try to do what he couldn't get done last year with Stafford. Right. Well, I mean that. We've already seen them kind of go down that route of trying to, um, you know, trade for a veteran. But but I think it helps in this case that they have better draft capital. I mean, the 11th pick is more valuable than the 19th. And so if you can package those picks together, maybe a team does bite on a first and a third because that's 11 and not, uh, you know, 19. So, so, you're, so you're saying the draft pick status does matter. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're on that camp. Yeah. Well, no, because that's the logical camp. Other people who say it doesn't matter, I want to punch in the face. Oh, wow. Uh, I think that there's an interesting discussion here to be had about would you rather go to the draft or free agency, but I think that there are trade-offs to both, and I, I made this point before, but I think the trade-off, like people always talk about, oh, you want a quarterback on a rookie deal, that's the best thing to have in the NFL, sure. right? To hit Mahomes, to hit on Herbert. Um, but I think, you know, 
the cost of not having that guy or, or you know having a rookie is that you are uncertain of how he's going to pan out you know is he going to be josh allen or is he going to be sam darnold josh rosen you're josh rosen like i just i just think there's so much un- like you could invest in a guy and he could still suck right and and so i think that the range of outcomes that you accept when you get a rookie quarterback is is a lot and i think that you're right i think ron rivera for for several reasons to me i think they might land on a veteran not only because you know what you're getting you kickstart a rebuild but also because when i think about this team i think you know people we talk about it so young all the time they probably need a veteran leader voice in that room whether it be matt ryan or Derek carr you know one of those type of guys Deshaun Watson. I, I know that that's unlikely, but I would I wouldn't be surprised if they went all in on one of those guys. And I know that people have talked about his no trade clause. He might not waive yeah. it, but you know, someone a, a veteran who is who can come into the facility on day one and be that dude. I think that they would like that. Well, you brought up the rookie contract and how valuable that is for a quarterback. But look at Washington's roster. They have a lot of guys on rookie deals that they're going to have to pay pretty soon. And if you have a bridge veteran quarterback and I'm not talking about a like a stopgap like Ryan Fitzpatrick I'm talking about a, a bridge quarterback and who can get them there before they have to start paying these guys uh, you know I think it's a it would be an advantage to take it you know they have all this cap space that you can afford to pay a, a quarterback at this point for right now you can't right I mean they've got uh Terry McLaurin's up for an extension Deron Payne's up for an extension they're, they're both John going. Allen's contract is going to go to yes. 21 mil right I mean I mean part of the deal they have a ton of cap space because of things like Brandon Scherf won't be getting paid he's not on the books for 18 million but also means he's not on the books are you keeping him I presume the answer is no but you know we'll have to see so yeah they've got some choices and you're right they're gonna have guys they gotta pay up I have a last second addition sure not so much what do you think the name will be but what is your current favorite uh conspiracy theory about the name that we've had it's only been less than a week since they announced that they're going to uh, pick the name on February second, and the the number of uh, slew, the, the amount of sleuthing that's going on on the internet is off the charts. Like everybody's turned into like a sixty minutes reporter. So, what's your favorite conspiracy theory or, or whatever at this point? I don't know. I feel like I'd be pretty nervous about answering this one, so I declined to comment. <laughs> Are you serious? You declined to comment? <laughs> Amazing. All right. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh. All right. I I don't have a favorite conspiracy theory. I think that uh, as long as the name change ends with with no one using the, how about they name them the WTFs, ha, 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 and thinking that's like an original joke, I'm I'm happy with that. All right, so I'll just say this. So the the whole thing right now is that the uh, great job by our, our, our friend Michael Phillips, to have seen on the, he saw I think a screenshot online, but he, he went to the, uh, he went to the, uh, uh, to, to the footage from the, uh, the 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 team show the other day that showed Jason Wright uh, a picture of some looks like Commanders, uh, a logo or something on Jason Wright's lap that's not blurred out that it was blurred out and other stuff. So people are now saying that must be it, but it's it's footage from a video from. August with him talking to Ron and talking to Martin Mayhew. Ron Rivera has said in the last week that he does not know what the name is. He told this to the junkies. So if that's the case, then it could just mean that that whatever's on Jason Wright's lap is just one of the names, which we all assumed it was one of the names anyway. So I think to me that one's my favorite right now because it feels like it feels kind of definitive. <laughs> like, well, it's on his lap, but I, but Ron Rivera's telling us he doesn't know. 
So if that's the case, then he wasn't showing him something that was definitive. So I'm going with that one right now as my favorite answer. Bottom line is, the next two weeks are going to be absolutely painful, uh, and and I cannot I, I cannot wait for this to be over. I don't know, man. I think the rebrand we're we're in what month 18. It's about to be month 19. I I I kind of like it. You're more making the brand videos. Yeah, Let, let's just keep it going. Yeah. All right. Well, what we're not going to keep going is this because either a we've annoyed everybody around us. Literally we're, stopped. Yeah, the the train is we've <laughs> we we have we have stopped everything. Uh, appreciate you guys, uh, Matt Paris, Sam Forty Eight. I know your Twitter handle, sort of. So, but just tell everybody so the heck they can go find you. You can find me at Matthew underscore Paris, at Sam the number four T R S A M the number four T R. By the way, I just real. Oh, you know what? I was about to say this is like a, like an old Biggie's podcast, and I realized your silly school is not in the Biggie's anymore. Uh, not that I even went to Georgetown, but just for the purposes of like everyone's favorite rival. Or- Favorite rivalry, DePaul Syracuse. Timeless, <laughs> yeah. Timeless Big East matchup. Yeah. Oh my God. All right. On that note, appreciate it, fellas. All right. Many thanks to Sam Fortier and Matt Paris for their time. Thanks to everybody for checking out the podcast. Um, as I said, more podcasts to come this week. Make sure you subscribe to the Athletic. Well, you can subscribe to the Athletic, of course, but subscribe to iTunes or Spotify or wherever you do your podcasting. So you don't miss any of the episodes. Uh, you know, this the offseason, we've got a lot to discuss, and it's not going to stop. So uh, make sure you subscribe, and you won't miss any of the podcasts. But that's it for now. Oh, and again, if you want to join me for uh, a private Zoom, email me, bstandig at theathletic.com. All right, that's it for now. Ben Standig signing off. Until next time, see ya.